Daniel chapter number 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1, read down to verse number 10. I want to preach about Daniel's windows tonight. The first verse of Daniel chapter 6 says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, forasmuch as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. I want you to notice verse 10 with me. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this Wednesday night prayer meeting. Father, we need it. Lord, I just pray we would approach it with the hallowedness, uh, with the reverence, with the anticipation, the expectancy uh, that I believe that this occasion is worth. I pray we'd have our hearts open to the truth of the Word of God. May we not be looking at everybody else, but let us look at ourselves tonight. Let us listen to the Holy Ghost as He seeks to take inventory of our lives and make plain to us the areas that need to be surrendered more unto You. Father, we love You. We'll be sure to thank You for all that is done. We give You the glory, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I want you to notice verse number 10 with me because it says something about a characteristic in Daniel's life. I'll go ahead and venture a guess to say that most folks know where I'm going and what I'm going to say and what I'm going to preach on to some degree before we even get there. Uh, but I, I just want to take a few minutes tonight and, and I want to preach about Daniel's prayer life. The Bible says in verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You know, as we read through the book of Daniel, we've been teaching the book of Daniel in our Sunday school class, uh, and something you'll find as you go through any portion of the Word of God is that there are layers, we might say, of application in any given portion of Scripture. Now, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. I'm not telling you that uh, for some folks it's literal, for some folks it's metaphoric and abstract. The Bible means what it says, it says what it means. But there are certain uh, layers of applications. And the illustration I gave uh, in, in my Sunday school classes, how many of you all remember the old school overhead projectors? I don't think they use those in schools anymore. Um, we, we had about 7,500 of them at the school that I was raised in. We only used three of them because the rest of them, all the bulbs was burnt out. And um, we've got one, I think, in the storage closet over at the church. In fact, I don't know why we have it uh, over in the Life Center. Uh, but the idea behind those was that you, you would have, you would lay these transparency sheets and you could layer them one on top of another and each time adding different layers 
making notes and drawing attention to certain things and revealing certain information. And you know, the Word of God is like that, especially as it pertains to the narrative portion of the Word of God. I don't know about you, but when I read through Daniel chapter number 6, I I see a lot of practical wisdom. We're going to say a word about it tonight. Uh, but I also see a picture of the Lord Jesus. Man, how can you not look at Daniel? Uh, here, here is Daniel, a man who is, whose righteousness is impeccable, at least in the eyes of those that are around him. I don't believe Daniel was a perfect man, but I believe the Bible presents him as being a man that was above reproach, that was elevated, that was preferred by the king because of his impeccable nature and because of his effectual service. The Bible says uh, that he was faithful. I like the word faithful. I was talking to a preacher friend the other day. We were talking about faithfulness. Faithfulness is the great missing quality in the vast majority of Christians. A lot of Christians today can be really, 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 really devoted and really, 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 really great 20 minutes at a time. But if it's a matter of being anything further than the tip of their nose... Uh, we often fall short. And uh, we were talking about that problem. He said, well, brother, faithfulness, it means full of faith. And what makes us faithful is when we believe the Word of God. We believe God says that if we come to the house of God with our hearts open, uh, expecting to hear from Him and willing for Him to do work in our lives, that this is a place where He meets and deals with His people, uh, then we're going to be at the house of God. Amen? I trust you came on this Wednesday night because you anticipated meeting with the Lord this evening. You had faith in God's Word and God's promise. We can say the same thing about prayer. We can say the same thing about witnessing. Listen, I don't witness because it seems like the best way to get people into church. Now, I do believe it is the best way, but I take that by faith. Uh, if I was constructing a means and a way to get people in church, I'd probably be like Oprah. I'd, everybody, I'd give everybody a new car, amen? But God's prescribed method of reaching people, God's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them uh, which would believe, we accept that by faith, we exercise that by faith, God honors that faith. That's what makes us faithful. We're full of faith. We trust God, we take Him at His word. I like that it says that Daniel was faithful. Certainly the Lord Jesus was faithful. And because of that, the people that are around him, they despise him. Now, they don't despise him because of the wicked things he did, because we don't have any wicked things recorded. They despise him because of the righteous things that he did. And, of course, the Lord Jesus, uh, whenever he's on trial, he said, Hey, listen, if I've done anything, testify against me. Uh, tell me, prove it, show it. Uh, he said, for which of these, uh, you know, works that I have done in my Father's name, uh, do you smite me and do you curse me and do you arrest me? Uh, but he was despised because of his righteousness, because of his preferred status uh, with the king. And then, of course, they know there's no way that they can get him on uh, any sort of reasonable crime. And so they say, we're going to have to sort of lay a trap for him as it relates to the king's word and the king's law. Now, the, the Pharisees were always trying to do this with the Lord Jesus. Ninety uh, percent of the conversations that the Pharisees ever had with the Lord Jesus uh, were, were sourced in guile and spite and craft and cunning. They were trying to deceive Him and trap Him in His words. And uh, at the end of the day, when they couldn't do that the same way that these men did, they took and perverted the King's Word, perverted the law to try to find a way to trap Daniel. And that's what they did with the Lord Jesus. They took and tried to pervert the law and use it as a club to try to uh, uh, to sentence Him to death. And Of course, we find that the king is not pleased with that because he loves Daniel. And he desires a way for Daniel to not have to go through this. But there is no other way. And uh, the Lord Jesus himself said, Lord, uh, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. Uh, The Bible does say it pleased the Lord to bruise him. But I believe also that God was grieved by what his son was having to go through. 
And uh, so Daniel goes into the lion's den. And uh, you would imagine those lions would have had the mastery over him. That would have been natural. And you would have thought that death would have been the end of the Lord Jesus. But of course it wasn't. On the third day, he rose in power and in glory. And the uh, same way that they rolled the stone away from the lion's den and uh, heard Daniel's voice, they rolled the stone away from the Lord Jesus' tomb, not so that he'd get out, but so that we could look in, but to bear testimony and witness. So I think there's a lot of things that remind me of the Lord Jesus in this passage. And uh, you might have just heard a sermon you're going to hear again here in three or four weeks, I don't know. But uh, that's one of these layers of truth. And we can look at Daniel's character, and we can look at the fact, I think it's a good testimony for you to be walking and living in such a way that people, if they're going to get to you, they got to get to you through good doing, through doing well, through, through doing righteously than they can through doing wickedly. Uh, one of the terrifying things nowadays, man, everything's digital, and everybody's on the grid. And you see this all the time with politicians. I mean, every time you turn around, somebody's got a photo or a comment or something that's come out from... 40 years ago, and that's it, man. They're cooked. They're done for. And the only reason they don't do that to you is because you ain't got no power. And that's the only reason they don't do it to me. Um, but would it be, would to God that it could be said about you and me that if someone's going to sink us, they're going to have to sink us for, for doing right, not for doing wrong. So there's a lot that we can learn. What I'm astounded by tonight, what I want to draw your attention to, is what verse number 10 says that Daniel does when he hears what has transpired. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he's not ignorant of what all this means. He knows what it'll mean. He's a smart man. But even knowing all that, he went into his house. Notice this next phrase, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel was a man that lived with his windows open. He was a man that lived with a consistent prayer life. I heard a story one time about a fisherman that was out on a boat and uh, he was out there. He was an ungodly man. All the other fishermen, his companions were ungodly men and a great storm arose. And uh, let me tell you, a lot of times storms can make ungodly people real religious all of a sudden. And that's what happened out here. They uh, all of his friends were gathered around and almost like in the book of Jonah where they all start to cry out to their gods. They was all praying. And they looked at this man and they said, we know that at one time you went to church. Why don't you pray? And why don't you ask God to deliver us from this storm? And he said, man, there's no way I could do that. He said, I've not been in church in 15 years. I've not prayed. I've not talked to God in 15 years. There's no way I could cry out to Him now. But they persisted and they begged Him and they pleaded. And He finally said, alright, listen, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to do my best. And he looked up to the heavens and he said, God, I've not asked for anything and spoken to you in 15 years. But please, if you'll get me out of this, I promise I won't bother you for another 15. And that's how some people think of prayer, you know. Prayer is just, some, it's sort of an escape hatch. You know, it's the ripcord on the parachute. It's something when everything's going sideways to get you out of the mess that you're in. And I'm glad, listen, when everything is going sideways that prayer is the answer. But I believe this tonight, that we're going to have a hard time in our prayer life if we don't keep our windows open. And I think for too long, Christians have treated prayer like that fisherman. We've treated it like a spare tire. It's either something we're doing out of formality or out of fear, but not out of faith and not in faithfulness. It's something that is just merely there to get us out of a jam, but it's not something we're consistently engaging in. I want you to notice three things tonight, and then we'll close. Uh, first off, now you know this story. You, you've been taught this ever since you were a child. And uh, you can probably imagine, you can probably visualize in your mind 
The smug look on these men's faces when they clamber down through the palace halls and find the door into Daniel's room and knock on his door and uh, and open it up and, and look at Daniel and accuse him of having been praying, having broken the law, having carried him away. You can probably visualize it in your mind. If you were to rewind the tape just a few minutes, though, you'd see Daniel, when he gets this news, spear it away into his room, shut the door behind him, get on his knees and begin to pray. That in and of itself, what Daniel does, let's just put aside his walk and life and and testimony of prayer for a second, and I want you to think about his reaction when trouble came. Daniel did not try 700 different things and then go pray. Daniel did not exhaust a bunch of avenues and resources and then go pray. Daniel's first immediate initial reaction when he hears this, is to immediately go. When the writing was signed, when he knew that it was signed, he went into his house and he bowed and he began to pray. His reaction was that a prayer. I jotted a few things down. I don't even know that I'd call these points, but I just want to bring them to your attention. Notice what he didn't do. Number one, he didn't panic. There's a lot of folks that the only way they know how to meet troubles and trials and difficulties is through panic. And very often there is a tendency in our lives, especially, I mean, this is a big deal what's going on. He's being sentenced to death. Uh, This is not just he's going to get written up. This isn't just he's going to get a citation. This isn't just he's going to get a slap on the wrist. This is the the king's word cannot be changed. The law is written very, very clearly. He has broken it. He has transgressed it. And there is only one prescribed punishment for it. And it is death. He is literally facing death. Uh, He has gotten... I mean, listen, there's people all the time that get news, get that phone call from the doctor. I'm sorry. It's it's cancer. It's inoperable. People that get that phone call, I'm sorry. Sorry, but it's this disease, it's that disease. There's no way. This is a, Daniel was facing a, a situation that was no less serious than that. He's literally facing death. And the inclination, I think, for all of us would be just to sit down, throw our, our face into our hands, curl up into a ball, weep and panic and do absolutely nothing. Uh, certainly, I think that is the case in a lot of people's lives. But Daniel did not do that. And can I remind you of this? Listen, if your inclination is to panic when trouble comes, I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I don't despise you. I, I don't. I don't criticize you. But I will say this: there's something you ought to do before you ever panic. And I have a feeling if you'll do this, you probably won't panic. And that is, you ought to pray. You ought to pray. How often have you said to yourself, "There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do," when in fact, for the believer, that is never the case. Never the case. We can always pray. Number two, he didn't plead. He didn't go in before the king and try to bargain his way out of this scenario. And I would remind you that Darius did not want to put him to death. I mean, he would have probably been received. He would have got a welcome audience with the king. Darius knew that Daniel was a wise man. He probably would have said, Daniel, let's just get alone in here and let's see if we can study this law. Let's see if we can figure this out. Let's see if we can find a loophole. But Daniel made his appeal to God and God alone. And he did not seek to try some other means to uh, step around what was the problem and obstacle in front of him. Now listen, I don't think it's necessarily... God gives us uh, resources and options and, and people and opportunities to avail ourselves of. And I'm not always going to say it's a, it's a wrong thing. Uh, but I will say this, there's a lot of times when people, before they ever go to the Lord about a problem, they will immediately go to everyone else about that problem. 
In fact, I found this to be true. Very often, people will go to everyone else and they'll go to the Lord last. Uh, they'll go to friends that they think they might get counsel and advice from. They'll go to professionals that they think they might get help and advice from. They'll try to uh, consult and, and counsel with their own wisdom, their own uh, intellect to try to find some way out of it. And God may use any number of those things to provide you help, but you better make sure that the first place you go before you go anywhere else is the prayer closet. He didn't plead. I, I wrote down sort of a redneck thing for the third one. Are you ready? Some of y'all that ain't from around here may not even know what this means. He didn't panic. He didn't plead. Number three, he didn't poor mouth. You know what the word poor mouth, anybody? Raise your hand if you know what the word poor mouth means. All of our southern people know. None of our northern people know. The term poor mouth, it means sit around and talk about how sorry you have. Sit around and talk about how miserable you've got. I mean, you're just poor mouth all the time. We might use this word, complain, complain. And there is certainly a, a tendency, I don't know, maybe we feel it's, Barney would have called it cathartic, I think was the way he said it. Uh, the, we feel sometimes as though there's some, some sort of help, some sort of comfort. You know what complaining is a lot of times like? It's a, it's a lot like that medicine that they give you when you're on your way out and you're dying and they just want to make you comfortable. Worrying and complaining do have the capacity to distract you or at least to give you the feeling. It's kind of like running running on a treadmill. I've, I've never been a big treadmill person. If I'm going to run, I don't run unless I'm being chased. And if I'm going to run, I want to be getting somewhere. I might as well be saving gas money, you know. <laughs> Same thing riding a bicycle, man. I mean, I'm not going to ride a stationary bike. I thought you ride, rode a bike to not be stationary, to get somewhere. Um, and, and so I just, I just drive a car. It's a lot easier, but, but that's sort of what worry is like. It, it gives you the feeling and complaining gives you the feeling as though you're doing something when you're really doing nothing. It doesn't change anything. Very rarely are we ever complaining to people that have any power to change our situation, our circumstances. Most of the time we don't want to complain to them because they're going to tell us how to get out of it. And oftentimes we'd rather have the ability to complain than a pathway to change our circumstances. And so we indulge in that, that poor mouthing, that complaining, that griping. We don't find Daniel once in his whole life. Now, I'm sure he did. He wasn't a perfect man. But God never once records Daniel complaining about anything. Even back in chapter number 2 when Nebuchadnezzar says he's going to kill all the wise men. You don't find a single critical statement from Daniel even about Nebuchadnezzar. All he says is, why is the king so hasty? Daniel wasn't a complainer. He didn't pour mouth. You know why I think that is? Because he knew that it was a lot more effective to pray than it was to pour mouth. It was, it was a lot more effective to petition the Lord than it was to sit around and gripe and moan and complain about our problems. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I want you to notice he could have done any of those things. We've all been guilty of doing all of those things. But instead, Daniel did the right thing. He prayed. I see his reaction. Number two, I want you to notice his resource. Now, we've already mentioned that he prayed, but I want you to notice how God describes it in verse number 10 because I think we have a few instructive thoughts about what prayer is and how we ought to pray and where we ought to pray. The Bible says, Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went where? He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. I want you to notice he goes into his house. He has a place set aside, picked out, ready, 
already prepared that he can go and pray and get a hold of God. I want you to notice, number one, it was a personal space. He went into his house. Now, I don't think the only place we can pray is in our house. Nor do I believe that God expects us to literally pray in a closet. I had somebody ask me that the other day. They might even be in this room. I don't know. Uh, but I guess it was Hannah because she raised her hand. If, if not, you're taking the fall for somebody else. Um, somebody asked me the other day, I said, do you have a prayer closet? And, uh, I, you know, my, own, my initial thought was, man, all the junk in my closet, I don't want to try to pray in there. But I said, no, I don't have, I have a certain place often that I will go and pray. Really, for me, it's, this is going to sound funny, but for me, it's a certain position. I oftentimes like to lay on my face with my ears closed, my eyes closed, and, and pray. You don't have to pray that way, but that's how I like to pray. I don't know why. I've, I've, ever since I ever got serious about prayer in my life, that's how I've done it. It's not the only right way, but what I would simply say to you is this, that you ought to have a personal place. In other words, there is a place for public and corporate prayer. But it is not sufficient to be the nourishment and strength and drive of the Christian life. If the most praying you do is when you're sitting around at a meal, now listen, a lot of us eat, I get it, but that's not enough praying to be doing. If the only time you pray is when somebody asks you to pray, uh, we, we believe in prayer. We have prayer meetings at this church. We're having one coming up in June. I believe in prayer. I believe in corporate prayer. There's a biblical precedent for corporate prayer, meaning God's people gathering together in a place and praying. We find the early church did that. We find the nation of Israel did that. There is a precedent for that. But at the end of the day, the place where the, the, the strength, the, the place where our prayer life should live should be a personal place. It should be a place that's away from other people. It doesn't have to be a geographical location, but it ought to be when we pray, we get alone with us and God and we spend time praying. Pray with your kids. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your church. Pray over your meal. Pray as you drive. Pray, 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 but make sure in the midst of all of that, that you have a time and a place where you're getting alone, you and God, and the distractions are, are gone, and you pray. You pray. It was a personal place. Let me say number two, it was a perpetual place. His windows being open. Now listen, I, a, a commentator, an expositor, to give you a hundred thousand reasons why in a Middle Eastern home at this given time during the day it would make sense for his windows to be open and why it was a common cultural practice for the windows to be left open during the day and the lack of air conditioning and the circulation and all that. I get that. And there's probably a lot of truth in it. But I believe one of the things we can draw, that we can extrapolate from this, that we can understand from this, especially in light of what it says in the closing portion of this verse, as he did aforetime, was that Daniel was a man whose windows were open all the time because he was a man who was praying all the time. I I sort of jotted these down, and these were just off the cuff, but I want you to think about it. Some of us would have trouble praying if called upon to pray, to really get a hold of the Lord. We would have trouble praying for these three reasons. We'd have trouble praying because the window we need to get to is blocked by a bunch of stuff. We've allowed clutter, and I don't mean physical clutter in your home, but I mean spiritual clutter, the distractions of the world, the obligations of the world. Some of us are so busy, we just simply, and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say because this isn't an excuse, but some of us have so injected our life with busyness that we struggle to find time to pray when prayer is probably one of the most important activities we should be engaged in. we just got a bunch of stuff in the way. 
We can't get that stuff out of the way. And listen, it's not just distractions, but it can be sin in our life. Uh, There's a lot of things I don't understand about prayer. And I do know this, if you had to be a perfect man to pray, then I would have never prayed or had a prayer answered. But I do believe when we regard sin and iniquity in our heart that the Lord will not hear us. And that doesn't mean that He doesn't hear us in the sense that He's not aware of us. But it means that it creates a hindrance in our prayer life when we allow sin to dwell, acknowledged but unconfessed and unrepented of and undealt with in our life. Some of us would have trouble because our window's blocked by stuff. Some of us would have trouble because our window has been sealed, or, or I wrote this down, nailed shut by bitterness. Some of us, we, we've bitter on God, bitter on somebody else, and we quit praying because it's uncomfortable to pray. Uh, any of y'all ever had braces growing up? I could just have everybody smile. I'd know who did. I had braces growing up. My teeth are not that great because they gave me that retainer. And I kept it for about 30 minutes and then lost it and then never got another one. So that's probably like four grand of my parents' money. It went straight down the, the toilet. But, uh, I had braces and I, I remember, and if you never had them, you can just turn off your hearing aid. You won't know what I'm talking about. But if you've had braces, they put them rubber bands on there because it's basically a medieval torture device meant to pull your teeth into alignment. And the worst day of your month, was when you'd have to go to the orthodontist and he'd go in there and he'd tighten and adjust those braces and tighten up those bands. And you'd spend the rest of the day with a nagging headache and in a just constant state of discomfort. Now, you ain't going to find a shred of Bible on this. Don't look for it in your concordance. You'll tear it all to pieces. But out of personal experience, I found that's what prayer is like when you're bitter. It's there, There's just a, a nagging discomfort in the attempt to try to pray. Because you know you're not right. You know this thing's in between you and God. You know you can't get to where you need to get. And you know there's something that needs to be dealt with before you can even engage in prayer in the proper way. And so you feel like a hypocrite for even trying. We can't pray when we got bitterness in our life. I believe some of us, our, our windows are nailed shut by bitterness. And then I think some of us, our windows are jammed from neglect. They're lodged. Uh, you know, if you got a window that you don't never open, and as that house settles and creaks and groans and moves, a lot of times it'll get off track. And because it's not been opened, because it's not been engaged with, it'll just simply become jammed, become locked, become sort of just fixed into place. And I'm glad, listen, if you ain't prayed in 30 years, you can get on this altar tonight and pray. And if you'll confess your sins, if you'll clear your heart before God, He'll hear your prayers. But I will admit to you that prayer is something that's easier to do the more you do it. The more you do it. He had a perpetual place. He prayed. The Bible says pray without ceasing. It wasn't something he occasionally did. It was something he all the time did. And then I see it was a... Let me say it this way. He had a personal place. He had a perpetual place. But he also had a perceived place. He, the Bible says, would pray towards Jerusalem. Now this was in keeping with the Old Testament command. Uh, whenever God uh, uh, blessed the temple and whenever Solomon, they, they, uh, they initiated, uh, they opened the temple, if you want. There's a word I'm reaching for that I can't find. But whenever they christened and opened the temple, God made promises about the temple there in Jerusalem. And He said this, that 
if God's people ever strayed, ever rebelled, ever ever grew stiff-necked against Him and God had to chasten them and take them into captivity, that if wherever they were at in their captivity, they would repent and they would turn and ask uh, for God to deliver them and pray towards Jerusalem, that God would hear them and that God would bring them back into the land. And so Daniel is doing this. He's exercising faith. Now, Babylon's a long way from Jerusalem. And and let me just say it this way. Daniel would three times a day kneel at an open window and look, and he couldn't see the place, but he knew the right direction. And he had faith that there was a God that was still keeping His promises, that was still listening, that would, if he would just do what God asked, he could transcend that Babylonian palace and he could enter into the throne room of a thrice holy God. And though he could not see the place, he by faith entered into the place. And when we pray, that's what we're doing. We come boldly under the throne of grace. We don't do that physically. We do that spiritually. We do it by faith. We go before the Lord believing and knowing that He'll hear our prayers by faith. Uh, If you want text, chapter, and verse for this, Hebrews 12, 22 says, You're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels describing our state in this dispensation of grace. Well, finally, and I want to close with this. I want you to notice his reaction, notice his resource, but finally, I want you to notice his rejoicing. I think there's something easy to miss here if we're not careful. The Bible says towards the end of this verse that his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. Now, it could have stopped there and it would have still been true, but God goes a step further. He says he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. I want you to notice his rejoicing. Daniel knelt down, and not only did he pray, but before he ever got up from the prayer closet, he thanked God for what God had done, what God was doing, and what he knew God would, by his promise, do. I'll tell you this, that a lot of times our prayer closet, we struggle to stay in there, we struggle to have a consistent prayer life, because very often it is bereft of gratitude. In many ways, and I don't have a cute illustration for this, but I just merely say this, that I think that gratitude is as much a driving force of our prayer life as faith is. Because gratitude is the answer to faith. We have believed God based on His Word. We might say this, that that faith looks prospectively, looks to the future, to what God has spoken about. But gratitude looks retrospectively backwards to what God has already done. And it takes both of those things to drive our prayer life. If you're praying and not spending a portion of that time thanking God for what He's done, you're very apt to forget that God's done anything for you at all. And if you forget that, you're very apt to quit praying altogether. I see His rejoicing, and I I just jotted these three thoughts down. Number one, He was insistent in His rejoicing. We might say this, He was insistent... In the face of opposition. You had people that were saying, Daniel, you can do anything you want, but don't you dare pray. Why was there such vitriolic, vehement hatred towards Daniel's testimony and faithfulness and his prayer life? Because that was the most effective element of his life. It was not what Daniel was doing in the palace that threatened them. It was what Daniel was doing in the prayer closet. There's a great truth there. 
You see, we like to think they don't like us because of what we're doing in the palace. When in fact, the armies of hell line up against those that storm the prayer closet. And in the face of that, and we need to get our spiritual side adjusted on this truth. Oftentimes, what we think the devil's trying to stop us from is about three or four links down the line from what he's really trying to stop us from. You think he's trying to get you out of church. Maybe he is, but he ain't got to get you out of church if he can get your prayer life dead, if he can get you out of the Bible, if he can get you bitter. If he can do that, you'll get out of church on your own. And oftentimes, we just miss where he's really targeting. There's a reason he targets our prayer life, because it's so important. He was insistent in the face of opposition, number two, his rejoicing was persistent in the face of, of obstruction. Things are not looking good for Daniel at this moment. He has no reason to believe that things are going to get any better. Uh, he has every reason to believe, temporally speaking, that his life is about to end. He is facing a mountain of an obstacle that he cannot overcome, and he has not yet overcome it. But he goes ahead and thanks God anyway. Anyway. Isn't it funny that a bank can find it within itself to lend credit to you and I, but we have trouble lending credit to God? Isn't it funny? I mean, you know, we see, I was reading something the other day, I don't want to get off the tracks, but I was reading something the other day about China's social ranking, I don't know exactly how they describe it, but their social ranking system. I don't know if you know this, a lot of this comes in with this technology, big tech giants, people like Google uh, creating search engines and Facebook creating facial recognition software. A lot of that stuff is being already implemented in communist China where they have cameras every like few hundred feet and they are constantly recording their citizens, and they give each and every person a a number, a ranking. And based upon what they do, that ranking can go up or down. If they litter, it makes their ranking go down. If they, for instance, I don't know, laugh, their ranking goes down. If they have an independent thought or say something about liberty, their ranking goes down. If they'll do things like praise the Communist uh, Republic of China, then their their ranking will go up. And uh, so this ranking goes up and down. And I was reading an article the other day. This tells you how, how in bed with this garbage that a lot of folks are. I was reading an article. I think it was USA Today. I can't remember what it was. But I was reading an article the other day, and it was saying that a lot of countries have this type of system, just like the Americans have this system with their uh, federal, their FICO scores, their, their credit score. And I thought, son, there's a big difference between telling me I can't go and buy a new, you know, Serta uh, mattress because I ain't got enough credit, and telling me I'm going to have to go to jail because I had a dissenting thought against my comrade. There's a big difference there. But certainly we're headed in that direction. And um, I don't even know how we got there, but certainly as we're headed in that direction, um, <laughs> we need to be persistent. You ever wake up, you ever woke up and thought, where am I? I do that when I'm preaching sometimes. He was persistent in the face of obstruction. Things were not getting better. They were getting worse. But you know what he did? This is where I was going with it. It always occurs to me a little later. Uh, the credit system. We ought to lend God a little credit. Lend Him a little credit. Bank will lend you credit. You've missed I don't know how many payments. God ain't never missed a payment. Lend Him a little credit. You say, preacher, my situation ain't getting any better. Go ahead and lend Him a little credit. He's faithful. He's faithful. Be persistent in the face of obstruction. Finally, he was consistent in the face of transition. As he did aforetime. Everything had changed 
from from this moment, from five minutes before this moment, if you look at that, verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, if we take that as a glimpse of a moment in time, that moment when he finds out the writing is signed, ten minutes before that, and that moment could not be more different in Daniel's life. Ten minutes before then, he's not only a free man, he's one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. He can write his ticket anywhere he wants. Ten minutes later, He's now a, a convicted treasonist. He is now somebody that is sentenced to go into a lion's den. Everything changed. You know what didn't change? Daniel didn't change. Everything changed. Daniel said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and keep on doing what I know is right. I'm going to keep on serving the Lord. I'm going to keep on praying. Everybody else may change, but God had not given me orders to change. And so I'm just going to keep on going and doing exactly what I know to be right. Are your windows open tonight? If you, if you need to get a hold of the Lord, are you confident you can? Maybe there's some area in your life that needs to be addressed for your windows to get opened back up for you to really be able to have the kind of prayer life you need. Maybe you've neglected them. Maybe there's stuff in the way. Maybe you've nailed those things shut. Or maybe in your life you just need to start getting more consistent. Whatever it is, I think it'd be good if God's people committed tonight that they was going to live with their windows open in constant communication with the Lord.